Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Heather Lewandowski on Knowing You Love God. Now here is Pastor Heather. Rhythm, but that will give me rhythm right there. The future. You know, uh, whenever I think of the future, uh, there, you might think of fortune tellers or crystal balls or uh, your astrological sign, but that I grew up in a, my mom and dad were strict and they were like, man, you don't mess with that stuff and you shouldn't mess with that stuff. In fact, I did not know what sign I was till probably I was 21 because in the newspaper, they would always have that section and I would put my hand over it because if I knew I saw it, something was going to go wrong. But they did let me have fortune cookies. Those were okay, but... For me, when I think of the future, I think of that cartoon, The Jetsons. Do you guys remember The Jetsons? They had flying cars, Astro the dog, and they had the maid uh, in there. Does anybody remember what the maid's name was? Rosie, that's right. In fact, I, my favorite Christmas gift, my husband knows my love language, is one of them is acts of service. And so he bought me one of those, um, it's not a Roomba, but it's like a shark. And it's a robot that cleans your floor and you can control it with your phone. And we named that robot Rosie. So Rosie right now is cleaning my floors. And it's a reminder that the future is not something far away, but actually the future is right now. And honestly, if I uh, could have told you 10 years ago that I'd be living in Portland, Oregon, speaking in front of you folks this morning on this stage and online, I would not have believed it. It wasn't something that I expected, anticipated, or even uh, prepared for. But because of who I chose to serve and abide with and place my trust in, I'm here today, and I know that I'm in his will because of that, regardless of what my expectations were. And for many of us this morning, I'm sure you could look at your life and the different segments of your life, and things didn't go as planned. But I think the older we are, one of the benefits of being older is that you can look back and you could see God's hand and his sovereignty throughout and how every single uh, move and every single decision was leading towards something. And so when we get images of the future, as we're moving forward in our family, in our jobs, our health, and even our future as a church, we can be assured, as Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? that God is on our side. We're on the winning team. And it doesn't matter if you're a Seahawks fan or a 49ers fan, we are on the winning team. And that God is with us past, present, and future. And something really important to anchor us in this morning, and Pastor Bill launched this series in Malachi, and it's the anchoring fact that God loves me. So if God loves me, if God is for me, then what can be against me, even in my future? But often it seems that this world is against us and that God is nowhere to be found. And our wonderful brains are wired to hold on to negativity and 
let go of positive outcomes. I've heard it said this, that negativity to the brain is like Velcro. And when we have positive stuff happen in our lives, it's like Teflon, it kind of slides off. And it's why most of the memories that we have seared inside of our brains are often the most painful and hard to forget. Now, I will give you an example of something that happened to me. We moved to Colorado uh, in first grade, and I was the new girl, and I was at the cafeteria table, and there was all these kids around, and there was this boy, Justin. And Justin had dark hair. He even had, like, the bangs at the time, and he had steely blue eyes, and I remember inside just thinking, man, I think Justin is so cute. And so here we are eating our lunch, and all of a sudden, he looks at me, and he says this. He says, you're ugly. And the room went silent, and I could literally feel like flesh going all the way down my body. And there I was nibbling my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just praying for the lunch bell to ring so that I could get out of there. That one interaction, out of like that happened like 40 years ago, and that one interaction out of all of my memories, my vacations, times with my children, times with my husband, that is the thing that still I can immediately go to. And as I relate this story, I'm sure you guys in this audience this morning have had a Justin experience in their lives. In fact, sometimes I have this fantasy that I could, I wish I could remember Justin's last name so that I could stalk him on Facebook and just let him know how much he hurt me. Or, better yet, take a picture of myself and say, hey, this is what you missed out on. <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> but really, the crux of the story the, is how one little boy's silly comment, and as I look back, I was like, you know what, maybe he, he thought I was cute and he just didn't know what to do with his feelings, but, but how one little boy's silly comment can hijack the truth of my value. And really that's what sin does, is it separates us from the truth of God's love. Right. Our shame, our insecurity causes us to pull away and it makes us question God's character, forget his goodness, and even accuse God of being unfaithful when we in turn are unfaithful to God. And this is where today's message is going, is we can even find ourselves disregarding God and even showing contempt and disrespect for the one who loves us. The Bible is God's love letter to us. And it's a reminder of his faithfulness in the past, but also the future. So this morning, let's marathon through the 39 books of the Old Testament, starting from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And it's an epic story of God's attempt to reconcile himself back to his creation. But over and over again, humanity chose their own way over God's way. And invariably in their blatant rejection and disobedience, God kept pursuing that relationship. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of the 39 books of the Old Testament in Malachi. And again, once again, God rescued his rebellious children after being delivered from exile. Worship was restored in the temple. And in true form, 
They grew apathetic, complacent, and slack, and neglected their first love. The priests made a mockery of God's house. Just like my memory of Justin calling me ugly, the children of Israel focused on all of the negative stuff that had happened. And some of that stuff they caused themselves instead of the God who had delivered, provided, and protected them repeatedly. You see, circumstances at the time weren't living up to their expectations. They were growing weary because this promised Messiah had not shown up. And they started to act like spoiled little children. And often spoiled little children turn into narcissistic, self-centered, entitled adults. And there's a reason that these kind of people exist. And for the most part, they were probably not well-loved. They were probably failed by those who were supposed to lead and guide them. And someone neglected to deal with their behavior, to have the hard conversations, and to take the time to challenge their wayward actions. So let's rewind back to the children of Israel because God could have abandoned them. He could have left them to their own devices. He could have neglected to deal with their behavior, but instead he loved them enough to confront them with their disobedience and rebellion. See, God doesn't want us to stay where we're at. God doesn't want us to just have the status quo. But like the prophet Jeremiah said, that he has plans for us to offer us a future and a hope. But we can't move forward and in the future and his blessings if we don't grow. And he loves us enough to mature us and even confront us with the things that can hold us back. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You see, God spoke through Malachi to confront the people with their sins and restore God back into their relationship. He used Malachi to give them a come to Jesus talk, even before Jesus showed up, about their abhorrent behavior. And on top of that, it just wasn't the regular people that Malachi was talking to. He was talking to the priests, those people of all the people who should have known better. And today's message is a challenge, and it's a heart check, and it's an examination to confront things in our lives, our displaced priorities that keep us from truly living in the full blessings and future that God desires for all of us and even this church. So I want you to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6 through 14. And these priests, they got called on the carpet big time. Basically, God brought them back to Jerusalem from exile. And as Pastor Bill alluded to last week, this was at the same time where Nehemiah was building the wall. So they had built, he, Nehemiah had gone, they were rebuilding the wall. And for a hundred years, they were able to come back to the temple to offer their sacrifices of worship. But the priests got apathetic. They got complacent, they got slack. And this is what they did. Instead of taking perfect sacrifices with no blemish as the law prescribed, they started bringing stolen, emaciated, sickly sacrifice 
from the people. And they passed it off as being acceptable to the Lord. So this is the thing is they were only trying to fool God, but also they were doing a disservice to the people who were bringing these sacrifices and making them think that God thought it was acceptable. So what does that have to do with our future today? If we want to live in the blessing of God, then we need to be honest in the fact that some of the things that we do may not be passable and pleasing to God, and some of it might even be detestable. And the priests were just going through the motions, and they were even shedding the blood of these animals, and somehow in their minds they thought that they were fooling God, but they were really just fooling themselves. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. Often the bread and butter of preaching is focused on the evil of the world, and there's a lot of finger pointing to those outside the church. But this morning, I'm going to reverse the finger and point it right here back at myself. This message isn't for the ignorant, it isn't for those who have not yet heard or experienced Jesus, but it's for us who have tasted the goodness of God, his love and his mercy, his grace, and yet still don't honor and give him our best. We are the ones with the blood on our hands. We're the ones who give God our moldy leftovers, our secondhand worn out clothes, and our compost scraps when he should be getting our first fruits, our best. So a heart check is required to confront our problem of worship in expressing our love to God. And Malachi brings up three things, and we're gonna go over those uh, quickly. The first thing in confronting our problem of worship is disrespect. And Malachi 1.6, it says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It's like children who want all the benefits. They want their parents to pay for their car, their gas, their clothes, their insurance, and room and board. And yet they don't want their lives to be interfered with. They want to be able to stay out as late as they want and not be questioned with whomever they want. To treat God and the things of God with no regard will not be tolerated. And the Lord Almighty said this in Malachi 1.11. He says, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations. So disrespect and another thing that is a problem with worship is a despising attitude. And really, to me, attitude is a heart condition. And something weird happens if, if you uh, have a child or have been around children, something weird happens between the ages of eight and 10 where these sweet, sweet little cherubs who just wanna be around you and hug you and they just think you're wonderful, something happens and they turn into a moody, irritable, distant stranger in your house. And when my daughter was 10, she showed me some attitude. And talking back in our house does not fly. So Paul spoke some harsh words to her and he says, I want you to go to your room until you can tell your mom that you're sorry and apologize for what you've done. 
So she went to bed. Uh, we had dinner. She did not come out of her room. And so in the morning, I found this note on the counter. And it said this. Dear Mom, I'm sorry. And then it said, Satisfied? <laughs> that is attitude. But the next level of attitude, even further, is a despising attitude or one showing contempt. And showing contempt, it's not just like a little sass, but the word contempt means an intense feeling of disrespect and dislike. It's similar to hate, but it implies feelings of superiority, like who are you to tell me what to do? I have it all together. The priest's behavior was blatant, almost like they were purposely pushing the boundaries of how far they could go and get away with it. Malachi uh, 1.6 says this, he, he, God is saying, it is you priests who show contempt for my name. But the priest asks, how have we shown contempt for your name? And he says, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's house is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And then he says this, but you profane it. The Lord's, by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Whoa. When I read this, the first person I thought of was Bernie Madoff. Have any of you guys ever heard of Bernie Madoff? He ran the largest Ponzi scheme in history, 648 billion dollars. He defrauded thousands of investors. As far back as the 1970s, he was cooking his books and faking records. In fact, at one time, he was the chairman of the NASDAQ stock exchange. His whole life and business were based on one big lie. And when this was revealed, his family was devastated, his name was tarnished, and one of his children even committed suicide. Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison, the maximum, and he died behind bars at the age of 82. He knowingly, contempt, he knowingly defrauded and stole from people working the system for his own benefit. And look where it got him. What a sham he was. And these priests, they made a sham of sacrifice. They mocked God. And we can mock God. We can play church. We can go through the motions. We can think that we give a part of our lives to God and keep a part of ourselves in this world. We show contempt to God by living one way and thinking somehow we can get away with it. That the rules don't apply to us. That we can gossip. That we can sow discord. That we could have a secret sin that we could lift our holy hands in worship and that God is somehow pleased that we even just bothered coming to church. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. 
The one who sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirit that from the spirit will reap eternal life. For some, this verse is of great comfort if you've been wronged or taken advantage of. And for those who have stolen and exploited others, God have mercy on their souls. But the cool thing is, is I can release them to God knowing that he is just and his vengeance is far more potent than mine could ever be. The final problem with worship is a defiling attitude. To defile means to poison, to pollute, to infect, to taint. You guys get the picture. And these priests who are really serving as an intermediary between the people and God would be so bold as to defile the temple by allowing impure and unclean sacrifices and calling them holy and acceptable. Now I'm gonna be really blunt this morning. It would be like bringing a prostitute into your marriage bed and expecting your spouse to tolerate it and saying, I don't know what the big deal is. Malachi 1.10 says this, oh, that you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. When you bring injured, lamed, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the sheet who has an, ex an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrificed a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am the great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God is basically saying, you know what? Don't even bother. Don't waste my time with going through the motions if you really don't mean it. If you don't want the things of God, then here's the door. I'm not going to be played for a fool. The temple of God is not a theater where we play church. There is no place where sin and the sacred can commingle. And here's the thing is God would not ask us to do something that he himself first would not do. We all know John 3:16. it's emblazoned on our mind. He sent his best, he sent his only, he sent his beloved. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the spotless, perfect lamb. He was God's best, his only. He was not created, but the infinite became finite so that the curse of death could be broken over creation. So when we show disrespect, despise and defile God with our actions and our attitudes, you could see how it not only displeases him, but it grieves his heart. And you see this, this excerpt from Malachi, really it's a, it's a cautionary tale of how over time and left unchecked, we can drift away from the presence of God and even the blessings of God. We have seen heroes of the faith fall Marriages collapse and families fracture due to the failure to confront sin in the house of God. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. But 
Here's the good news. There always has to be good news, right? Because that's the gospel. That's not where we have to stay. That's not where we have to be. Remember that over and over again, how God kept trying to restore relationship? You know, last Sunday night was a wonderful time of God's presence. And I truly believe the sacrificial praise and worship that were lifted up that evening were pleasing. It was a pleasing aroma to God. In fact, we're gonna have another one, February 6th. And I wanna encourage all of you who can come to be here and experience the presence of God. So, how do we foster this atmosphere where God resides and that we can express love to him and live under the cover of his blessings? So we're gonna correct this practice of worship. And the first thing is, is to remember the nature of God. And really that's the importance of being in God's word is we are forgetful human beings. That's why history constantly repeats itself. And you're like, why would they do that? Because that that just happened and the script was already out for them. But we forget so easily. And that's the importance of being in God's word. Even when our present circumstances seem contrary, God's character is consistent. Just read the entirety, if you're struggling this morning, read the entirety of Psalm 103. And I'll just give you a quick snippet. It says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not his many benefits, who forgives you of all your sin, who heals all your diseases and who redeems you from the pit and crowns you with compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed as eagles. We all know that familiar hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's one of my all-time favorites. But the next line says, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Have any of you guys ever wondered, what, what, is, what does that mean? What is he really saying? So I looked it up and it says, it's pointing to God's consistency. That is, God is steadily walking towards the light, towards the truth. He invites us to follow after him. And as we do, we are naturally in his shadow. If God were to get off course or to turn to the right or to the left, there would no, we'd no longer be directly in his shadow and that shadow would have turned. So in whatever crisis we face, we can count on God. He will lead, he will provide, he will see us through 100% of the time. There is no shift, not a slight one, with God's faithfulness to us. And looking back, Thomas Chisholm, as he was talking about writing this hymn, he was an ordained uh, minister, but he was only allowed to pastor for one year because his health failed him and he had to resign. So he lived the rest of his life as a life insurance uh, salesman and agent. But he said this, he said, My income has not been large at any time due to my impaired health in earlier years, which has followed me up till now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. What a great story of God's nature revealed in the life of one man 
who was just enamored with the astonishing gratefulness of, of the faithfulness of God and his character. So remembering the nature of God and next to revere his name, giving honor where honor is due. When we place God at the center of our lives, it's an acknowledgement, it's a recognition that everything we have and who we are is because of him. David said this, I said to the Lord, you are my master, every good thing I have comes from you. Where would you be without the Lord in your life? And that's a question I don't even want to imagine wanting to find the answer for. James Fordyce, a Presbyterian pastor, said this. He said, henceforth, the majesty of God revere. Fear him, and you will have nothing else to fear. Fear him, and you will have nothing else to fear. And finally, this morning, we need to recognize his nobility, that there is only one God, that there is only one true king, and there's only one place for God in our life, and that's first place. Matthew 6, 33, we've heard it quoted over and over. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. As I close this morning, one of the wonders of God is that he allowed us the ability to receive love. It was not some primal instinct programmed inside of us. It's not forced or contrived. It's supernatural. In Ephesians, Paul describes being rooted in love. He says that we could comprehend the breadth, the length, and the height of depths of love Christ has for us. It, it surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond our understanding. And I want each of you guys this morning to reflect on the series of circumstances that led you to discover the love of God. Each encounter is uniquely crafted and sovereignly ordained. It reminds me of a Rube Goldberg uh, machine. And in case you guys don't know who that is, he was a cartoonist and it's a chain reaction type of machine, a contraption intentionally designed to perform a simple series of unrelated events. And the action each triggers an initiation of the next and eventually resulting in the achieved stated goal. It's like that game Mousetrap. I never figured it out at all these different pieces, but if you put it together, if you put the marble in, it will come out. But ponder what lengths, what things God put into motion to bring you to the knowledge and revelation of his love for you. The way he protected you, the way he provided for you, even when you didn't understand he was working and how. John 4, 1 John 4 says, we love each other because he first loved us. It's a gift that comes from a heart initiated by something that can only be divine. When we receive his love, then we can reflect that love to our creator and to creation. He desires to be in a relationship and have an exchange of expression of love. Just as he gave Jesus as a perfect sacrifice, his best, his only, his everything, we in return can express our love to him. How? By surrendering everything we are to him. Romans 12, one says this, present your bodies 
as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And when we do that, this exchange happens. And it's described in Galatians as this way, for I have been crucified. I have been sacrificed with Christ. So that is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning is a day of, a day of surrender, your whole heart, not giving God our leftovers and scraps and keeping back anything. We can trust him to take our brokenness, our, our grief, our shame, our failures, our disappointments, and lay it down at the altar of sacrifice. And maybe you have a person who's damaged you so deeply that you can't just let go. God wants even the stuff that hurts, the stuff that's wounded you. You might have a call of God on your life and you're like, oh man, I don't know. It's gonna cost me something. It's gonna cost losing my reputation, my, my hopes for my lives and my comfort of life. But God loves you this morning and you express your love to Him by giving yourself entirely to Him as a worship offering. And I'll tell you this morning, if you do that, you will find a peace that the world can't buy, a hope that dispels all darkness and the one who makes the impossible possible. And the answer this morning is to give your heart to Jesus, to lift up your hands and, and to declare, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. You died on the cross to pay for my sins that could only be covered by you. You came back to life and I confess you as the Lord and leader of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, your life will never be the same. And many of you guys have done that prayer and I pray if you haven't that you do that today. But if you have things that you need to surrender to God, He'll take those burdens, He'll take those hurts, He'll take those wounds and, and bring healing and restoration. He'll heal you of the things in your mind that haunt you. Things like you're ugly, you're worthless, you're unworthy, and replace them with His love and acceptance. I'm just gonna invite all of you to stand and for those online, just close your eyes and let's take a moment to express our love and devotion to God. Lord, oh, this is my desire to
that should be our heart's cry this morning. Lord, I give you everything I am. Have your way. Do whatever it takes. Just have your way in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not spare your one and only Jesus, but gave him freely, not withholding anything as a sacrifice so that we could be set free. As I pray this morning, I pray that we step out of this holy place filled with your presence and that breakthrough would come in our lives as we live a life of true sacrifice and surrender. Thank you for your love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all of us said, amen. Be blessed this morning. And if you need prayer or, or uh, need to surrender something to the Lord this morning, we have people that wanna come pray with you and uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.